When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. G-A-L-D-E-M G-A-L-D-E-M This song is good. Welcome to Growing Up With Galdem, a Galdem original podcast. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name is Charlie Brinkhurst-Cuff. I'm the editor-in-chief at Galdem. And my name's Natty Kasimbala. I'm a former editor and long-time contributor at Galdem. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So today on the show, we are joined by Ya Jassy, a Ghanaian-American author. Her debut novel, Homegoing, was a Sunday Times bestseller, won the National Book Critics Circle Award for Best First Novel, and was selected by the BBC as one of the 100 novels that shaped our world. Her new novel, which has the most beautiful cover I have ever seen, is called Transcendent Kingdom, and it's a story of love, loss and redemption, and the myriad ways we try to rebuild our lives from the rubble of our collective pasts. So welcome to the show, yeah, and congratulations on Transcendent Kingdom. It's like all I'm hearing anyone talk about in the literary world, which I'm so <laughs> well versed in, of course. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How about you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing good. Excited to chat to you and talk about your adorable extract. Oh, <laughs> it is so cute. I think it's the cutest one we've ever had, yeah. actually. <laughs> and the little illustrations, like, didn't have to go so hard, but here we are. <laughs> Transcendent Kingdom, I think, has got the most beautiful book cover. I know oh you must God. have heard this before. Yes. But it has the most beautiful book cover I think I've ever seen. <laughs> so I know, gorgeous. it's so pretty. Yeah. yeah. Obsessed with it. Yeah. 
I lucked out. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> Were you involved in the process of kind of like drawing it up or anything? No, they would like send me, they like sent me a version of it. And I would say, maybe change this thing. For the most part, it looked basically like what I saw um, in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. How does it feel to have your, you know, your second book child out in the world? Is it any different to the first and kind of like your debut or does it feel much the same? No, it feels a lot different, actually. I think I'm just less nervous and anxious about this whole process than I was for the first one because I knew what to expect this time around. So I, I feel calmer than I did with Homegoing, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And um, I always ask this question to authors because they usually have a good response. But is there any questions about this particular book that you haven't yet been asked that you just like really want to talk about? <laughs> You know, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Like, I think it's been, the conversations have been really wide ranging. Mm -hmm. I mean, the book covers a lot of different things. So people kind of pick up on different parts of it, which has made all of the events really nice because sometimes Mm -hmm. somebody really wants to talk about science or sometimes somebody really wants to talk about religion or somebody wants to share their family story. Like it's been different every time, which keeps me on my toes in in a nice way. Oh, I'm pleased to hear that. Um, Usually it's like, yeah, I really wanted to talk about this, like, very specific niche aspect of the book. And, like, just, like, no one's bothered to talk to me about that. So I'm glad that you've been having invigorating sort of conversations around it. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about was that I've heard that you refer to yourself as the 1.5 generation. And I was wondering if you could Mm. tell um, myself and Natty what that means. Yeah, um, I heard it for the first time in college. I can't remember uh, in what context, but um, the person was talking about like people who immigrated when they were so young that they don't really have like a fully developed sense of themselves um, as a person from their original country. And so you're kind of like straddling between first generation and second generation, which felt really, really uh, true to, to how I experienced my childhood. I came to the States when I was two. So, you know, ostensibly, I am a first generation immigrant and yet with no memory of of my time in Ghana. Um, yeah, we were talking about this recently. I'm in a similar position, except I always call myself a first generation immigrant. I guess, I, mm. I don't know if it's because in Britain, I think there are a lot of people who are more, who are second generation. It's less, it's less common to be first generation at this age. But I, I came to Britain from Malawi when I was two months old and I'm always like yeah first gen first gen and I've got literally (laughs) no recollection of that flight none of it but I think sometimes it's even just like if in your household for you know however long it still feels like your Mm -hmm. culture is preserved somewhat separately from British culture and like there's Mm -hmm. still those differences that you pick up on as a kid and you might not even know why but when you grow up and you look back on that context it still feels like there's that definite liminal space between yeah absolutely i i know that feeling well i think about like how i have experienced america experienced our immigration versus my my younger brother who was born in the states and has you know actually no memory and was never um was never in that other country and yet Mm -hmm. still has this connection to it because my parents were so keen on keeping preserving the culture within the home and so it is you know i feel like 1.5 felt like a flexible way of, of defining that that space as a member of the 1.5 generation, how did you like experience your first time coming home to Ghana or home in single quotation marks, double quotation marks, however you prefer? What was that yeah. process like in kind of finding your place in that space as well as in America? 
it was really overwhelming. So my family didn't go back um, until I was 11 for the first time. Um, and we went kind of under, in part, like stressful circumstances. Like my mother's mother had passed away, I think the year before. Um, and we hadn't, we didn't have like the paperwork to be able to travel at that time. And so, you know, it was partly like to get to go and, and see the gravesite and, uh, and grieve and all of that. And to have that experience wrapped up with it being the first time that I was meeting my aunts and uncles and cousins uh, that I could remember, it was like incredibly, incredibly overwhelming. And then I think also just, you know, just deep sense of, of welcoming as well. Like uh, these people that I like knew about from stories, from the phone conversations that we had had, but hadn't really been able to put a face to. Um, There's something really, really lovely about finally like getting to to meet them and to know them. So, so that was great too. But I was a, I was a very shy kid, and it was a hard trip for me. I think in that way. I can imagine. Yeah, I was similarly a very shy child, and any time I sort of had to meet an older relative, it would be like, oh, I can't talk to you. <laughs> and every now and then there'd be that like that special cousin. He'd like come down to your level and they play with you or something and then you, it, it would feel a lot easier. But yeah, I hear you. And I think similarly, the first time I went to Jamaica, which is where my maternal side of the family is from, it was very overwhelming, super exciting. Um, and I was, I was much older than, than you were. But yeah, I think it's, I, I always love hearing the stories of people's home goings, I guess, like, you know, um, across the diaspora. It's, it's really gorgeous. Now, have you got a story as well? When was the first time you went back? Yeah, I'm... Um... <laughs> I, you know what, I feel like I've been quite fortunate in that my parents, I think they just, my, my dad's one of five and my mum's one of six. And then most of like my family for a long time was still based in Malawi. So they were quite like diligent about getting us back there quite early. And for a while as a kid, we would go back like every other year. Um, also because they were young parents and they moved with like literally nothing, just like suitcases and two kids. Wow. So they were like, take me home for Christmas. Um, <laughs> And so literally from when, from the time I was a kid, I was always like obsessed with Malawi. And it was like that I grew up in a very white area and I would like do all my school projects on like Lake Malawi and like the different fish there, and, like all my cousins. And I was just like, I wore it as a bit of a badge of honor. It was a weird mix though, because I was again, a very shy, anxious kid. So it was a mix of like, you go home and you're so excited for it. And then you get there and you're just like, oh God, like this, it's like, overstimulating and so many people who you all want to like love you and you love them and then by the end of it you're just like crying on the plane home like for 10 hours mm. <laughs> just like oh. I don't want to go back to Buckinghamshire <laughs> <laughs> Every, everyone's so pale there so yeah it was it was just always like such a bundle of emotions and now I'm just mm. I just I think you really learn the value of like big families and like just connections when you go to these places and you realize that you have like just like you said, it's that welcoming feeling. The people you might not have ever met who just feel this connection to you or have this, like, blood connection to you that is just, it's really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I remember going, I went by myself for the first time when I was 20 um, in order to research homegoing, actually. And I still remember, like, handing the man at the airport my passport and he said my name correctly. Like, and that that feeling, that, right, of just, like, never oh, gets old. this person knows me. It never gets old. It's the best thing in the world. Oh, that's lovely. Just before we move on to extract, we were wondering if there were, and this is a really, like, Black British podcast thing to do, but we were wondering if there were any British authors that inspire you or that you admire, admire. yeah. 
Sure. I mean, I really, really loved um, Kayla Bazuma Nelson's book that just came out, Open Water. Oh, um, I thought that that was beautiful. I, I blurbed it. I thought it was so lovely oh, um, really? and, and excited to see it getting uh, the attention that it's been getting for a young, I, I don't know how he would identify 1.51 <laughs> two generation Ghanaian. Um, so I'm excited uh, about that mm-hmm. and, and happy for him and love that book. And then, you know, like everyone else in the world, like Queen Sadie is, yeah. <laughs> is, is pretty, pretty major for me. I read, I read her for the first time, I think when I was in high school. And so she's felt like a steady part of my life and a steady part of like my coming into my literary self Mm. um, in a lot of ways and to see her career and to see her continue to write. I read her a her nonfiction book that came out in the pandemic. She's the busiest writer in, in the, on the planet and, and has been such a example to me mm. of what this career can look like. Yeah, for sure. It's important. I was thinking about this actually in relation to authors and like, I don't know, I think maybe from the outside looking in, you see someone release a book and that's it kind of over. You're like, that person is a novelist now, but actually like there's way more stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And then you you have to start thinking about the next project and like, you know, are you going to be someone who continues to write novels or are you going to take your career somewhere else? Are you going to become an academic like a lot of people do? It's, It's really interesting. Yeah. But moving swiftly onwards, we would love to hear your extract, which is titled Just Me and My Dog. And um, I think you wrote it for the Reading Rainbows Young Writers and Illustrators competition when you were just seven years old. And it's just the most adorable thing. So would you mind reading that out for us? Sure. Okay, this is just me and my dog. It was a hot day. I decided to make some lemonade, but I did not have any lemons. So I asked my mom, but she was working. So I went to the pool. I was allowed to go there whenever I wanted. On the way there, I saw a dog. Ever since then, I wanted a dog, so I asked my mom again. She said she would think about it. The next day, she had an answer. Well, yes and no. You can have a dog if you can take care of it. I can, I replied. Okay, tomorrow we'll get the one you want, my mom said. The next day, I woke up and reminded my mom about the dog. She said, hold on, I have to get my purse. She also said that a dog was a big responsibility. I said, I know, but that won't stop me from getting one. What if you wanted a girl dog and it had puppies? Then I'd sell all the boys and keep one girl. And what will you do with its mom? I'll keep her. Well then, my mom opened the door and I saw lots of dogs, big and small. I chose one. It was a little dog. My mom says it's probably a puppy. I agreed. My mom is usually right. I took it anyway. Next, I had to get dog food from the store. The food cost $7. I had more than $7. The dog was cute, very cute. At least that's what the lady at the store said. And she gave me the food for free and I got a sticker. My dog can swim. Lisa, my friend, said that I had a cool dog. I think so too. My dog made me happy whenever I went to a restaurant. I would sneak food under the table for her. I love my dog and it loves me too. The end. Thank you so much for reading that. You know, I'm fighting back <laughs> sure. the tears, but I do have to ask the question that I think all the listeners will be thinking. Is this story based on reality? Is it based on the truth? Is this a story of fiction? 
unfortunately for me at that time, it is a, a, a work of fiction. Wow. I, I desperately wanted a dog and was not <laughs> oh, allowed to get no. one. This was manifestation <laughs> 101. <laughs> Exactly. This was like my not so subtle way of telling my parents <laughs> that their decision was incorrect. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> that makes it even more yeah. impressive, honestly, that you wrote this at such a young age and it was just like completely from your imagination. You saw all those yeah. little pups and those big pups and you got the free yeah. dog food because your dog was just that cute and you didn't get allowed to swim. Um, so it's fair to I wanted to ask two other questions, sorry. Was it actually written on a like a typewriter? You know, it was I, one of my like first memories um, was of like asking my dad to write this story and him pulling the typewriter out. And if you see the like text, like it's clearly very grammatically correct. Like there are the yeah. apostrophes and commas <laughs> and stuff are in the right place. So he must have typed it. Um, but I remember like sitting on his lap and typing. So I think maybe there's a version um, where I like wrote the actual story and then he went back and like cleaned it up. <laughs> did a little sub edit that's amazing yeah so it's obviously fair to say that you had writing I guess and storytelling in your nature from such a young age which I just find so yeah. fascinating I just I loved books so much like I loved reading more than anything and it was the thing that I did basically from the time I got home from school until it was bedtime and so it felt really natural. Like it felt like a natural progression to go mm -hmm. from um, reading all of those books to trying to write a story myself. And so I think when I saw the call on Reading Rainbow for, for stories, I thought, oh, I could do this. So that was really, that was the beginning for me was, was this, this story. That's lovely. And then do you remember sort of after that moment sort of progressing on to like, you know, computer typed stories and, you know, how did it go from there? I don't think it was a quick progression from from this story to to typed stories, but I definitely always had a little notebook that I would that I would like write little stories in. Um, and then it wasn't. I think I remember maybe around age ten when we got like a family computer that sat in the hallway. Yes, classic. Um, and so <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and so that's when I started like typing uh, typing out stories, and then I would. Uh, I would print them and then I would hide them in my closet because I didn't want my brothers to read them. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, I, so yeah. I've actually got a hard drive of like a super old 90s, like chunky computer in my parents' mm. house up in Birmingham, which I refuse to let them throw away because it's got this one story on it that I know that I wrote oh. when I was like 10 years old. And like, I don't know, I can't even remember what it's about, but I'm like, I know that I, I've poured so much love into that piece of <laughs> writing you yeah. can never let it go and those, yeah. I feel like those you know those first stories you write are really formative and they set the tone in a very small way for what's to come you know absolutely I mean at the very least it just shows you that it's possible that your your imagination um, is worth pursuing which is which is always nice yeah here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I was going to say, uh, or I just said to Charlie actually before we came on here that, you know, I find it slightly intimidating when I hear of writers who have been writing since they were like seven years old. It feels like all of this time that you have... <laughs> ahead of me who's like I, I want to write more stories but I'm like people have been writing stories for 25 years more than I have you know um, <laughs> but I, I feel like it's just a really interesting way of honing those like expressive skills and I wonder if it translates to like other areas of your life almost because I know that I find myself someone who's like when I want to write now I still feel scared a little bit every time and I have to kind of push mm. through to get things onto paper but if you've been writing since you know you were that young do you find it really easy and natural to just communicate I guess in all aspects oh man I wish <laughs> I wish it always felt like easy and natural it feels hard every time especially at the beginning of a project for me like I um it always feels when I'm starting a book, when I'm starting, you know, a short story or even an essay, I just think, oh, I can't do this. Um, wow, even after it. having, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it's, it's always hard. There's like, um, there's a moment in the middle where I kind of settle into it and I, and I start to like recognize that I can do it. Um, mm. But the beginnings are so hard for me. Just like getting those first few pages down is always a real struggle. Yeah, super hard. One thing, just sort of going back to the extract that I was thinking about was the um, the feelings of respect that it seems to evoke towards your parents. I pr I'm presuming that that's who you're thinking about as a seven-year-old and, you know, you're kind of trying to convince them even within this, like, story. Um, yeah. But also, like, listening to your mum. Like, I think there's a there's a, a line in there that suggests that, like, your mum tells you something and then you're like, yeah, okay, that's probably right because my mum's always right. Um, was that accurate in terms of your relationship with your, your parents growing up? You know, that's funny. Like, I feel like that that particular sentence, my mom is always right, was probably a little bit of flattery for her, <laughs> you yeah. know, trying to, get my, <laughs> trying to get my position across. But no, I was an incredibly obedient child and like oh. very happy to do what my parents told me to do. Honestly, I was an angel. They, they were very lucky, <laughs> lucky parents. <laughs> yeah. And did, the, did that persist? 
into your teenage years or did you kind of have your your moment yeah oh wow I mean, I'm sure they would have something to say in response to this, but whatever my rebellious phase looked like, it was it was nothing. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up with two brothers, like it was nothing compared to to them. Same. So I think you know, angelic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's really important to regularly remind parents of these things. So I'm glad you <laughs> brought it up on air. I hope they listen to this episode and Me remember. <laughs> I was an angel. Um, no, I was, I was just wondering, and this might not be the case for you, but I wondered if your rebellions came in other ways that were less overt than, you know, while you were growing up. What what was your way, way of sort of finding freedom or yeah, self-expression? Yeah. I mean, interestingly, I think the writing was where my rebellion came in and where it mm. still kind of comes in, you know, being able to kind of shape the stories the way that I wanted to shape them, tell the stories that I wanted to tell. And even beyond that, like, I think, you know, I grew up with the kind of classically very not strict uh, in in some ways but strict about like wanting us to to have these certain careers wanting us to be doctors or lawyers or what have you and i from a very young age was like i'm not going to do that i'm going to be a writer so i think that was probably my biggest rebellion and the thing that i remember like fighting with my mom the most about i find that really interesting i i didn't have the similar experience but yeah i wonder what's the relation with your parents to your work nowadays has it changed shifted very much over the last like five years then well now they both have like amnesia about that that time in their lives always the way i always told you you could do anything you wanted to do exactly like i was always supportive i was like i i have journal entries (laughs) to back my to back myself up like you were not always supportive but yeah now they're just so incredibly proud yeah it's just been like I think one of the joys of their lives to see my career take off in this way that they have come around. <laughs> That's gorgeous. I'm really pleased to hear that. Going back to the dog or dogs, do you have a dog now? <laughs> I do have a dog do. now. Oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> I'm so pleased for you. Character. Um, <laughs> amazing. Um, tell us all about I your do. dog. When did you get him or her? <laughs> or it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it it took me 30 years, but I finally <laughs> got a dog. Her name is Kima. She is Aww. a Black Lab mix that uh, my partner and I adopted in 2019, like at the end of 2019. So she's not exactly a pandemic puppy. She like preceded the pandemic just a little bit. And it's been a lot of work, <laughs> uh, but also really, really wonderful amazing i love that yeah i was i was gonna ask whether or not it would be she'd been a pandemic puppy but um yeah so many people seem to be relying heavily on their dogs at the moment so i'm i'm pleased that alongside your partner you've got this other person in your life who's kind of been there for you (laughs) through the process of getting your book into the world and surviving this virus Um, yeah i mean i i totally understand the the reasoning behind getting a dog during this time i think there was something really nice, particularly in the early months of lockdown in the States. I live in New York, so we went into lockdown like last March. And in all of the like chaos and confusion and all of that, like to just have this task that you had to do every day, like I have to take this dog out at the very least, um, I think was was really helpful mentally to kind of keep me from, you know, just kind of falling apart. I hear that completely. Um, And I just wanted to ask, sorry, out of curiosity, with the extract or the masterpiece that you submitted, did you end up winning that competition? 
I did not win. No, I didn't. But I got, I think it's, it wasn't honor. It was called either honorable mention or like honorable something. Yeah. Um, so I did get a certificate that was oh. signed by LeVar Burton, um, which is like my most prized possession. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if like everyone who sent a story got the certificate. I'm, I, yeah, I'm not sure, but it felt very special. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, and I guess <laughs> yeah. going on from that, like, in your experience as a writer I actually did a little bit of research and I realized that the writer's workshop that you went on was the same one that Kylie Reed also graduated from and I was I was just kind of fascinated by I guess the process of like forming your own voice and finding it were competitions something that became like a fixture and what kind of like workshops and I guess journey did you go through before you got to that first debut novel? Yeah I didn't really ever enter a lot of competitions after that. Like I maybe entered a few writing competitions in college, nothing that I ever won, but I was always writing these short stories and like sending them into different literary magazines. Again, mostly rejections. And for whatever reason, there's some kind of like stubbornness about wanting to be a writer where even when you get these rejections, you're like one day, you know, like one day they'll, um, they'll see, um, or one day I'll be better or one day they'll, they'll see. And so I persisted. And I ended up going to college um, to study creative writing. Like I got my degree was in English with a creative writing emphasis. And so I knew even from then that this was what I was going to focus on. And then once I graduated, I took a year off and uh, applied to graduate schools, which is how I ended up at at Iowa. Um, And Iowa is, is great for a lot of reasons. I think mostly it's fully funded. So you don't have to worry about how you're going to make money for two years while you try to write, which is really incredible. And then the other thing is just that it was the one time in my life up till that point that I just had endless amounts of time to work uh, on on what I wanted to work on, which was at that time homegoing. Yeah, such a blessing, isn't it? Just having time and space to dedicate to the things that you're truly passionate about. Yeah, I've, I've been attempting to start a draft of a fiction novel in lockdown and boy, it is hard <laughs> going. I like took a week off work to like, just like focus on it. Cause I just couldn't like, after I was sort of finished my day, I just couldn't find the headspace. Yeah. So I'm glad you were given that opportunity. One thing you noticed, noted a minute ago was about rejections and, and the kind of literary magazines you sent your short stories to. And you're obviously super determined and, and you kept going despite these rejections. But I wondered if you had any advice to, to people who perhaps do struggle with the rejection a wee bit more and like, you know, <laughs> Natty's like, me! Um, triggered. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say to them? What sort of like headspace do they need to get themselves into to keep moving forward? I mean, it's hard. And especially in the beginning when you're not, you're not sure, like the way that I think about it is that like, I suspected that I was good at this thing, Mm. but I wasn't getting any external validation really. And so I was like, (laughs) is it just in my head or am I actually good? Um, And I think what, (laughs) what helps is to, is to like find a community of other writers who Mm. are, who are going to be good readers for you and who are going to tell you the truth without kind of deflating your spirit. And so, you know, even if I was getting these rejections, like, I had one of my really good friends, Christina, who would always read my work and be like, you're the best, you know? And then I was like, okay, I can do this. Like Christina likes it and and I like her and I, I trust her opinion. And so I think that helps to like 
look outside of, you know, these institutions that are gatekeeping. And once you kind of start to see yourself as a part of a larger writing community, I think it helps to kind of take some of the sting away from the rejections that you're receiving. Yeah, that is the perfect answer, I think. I love that. I think that point you yeah. you raised about suspecting is such an important part of or like obstacle for a lot of creative industries. Like I think people have like sometimes just an innate an innate feeling or an innate like interest in certain things. But I think because it's not something that you can be good at until you're doing it and it's not something you can really improve in until you're doing it so there's always this like real tension between the idea of something and like how it feels to you in theory and then like the actual process of like struggling through it and like being bad to start and then figuring it out because I think people kind of think it's going to be like drawing and you know you're just going to write and the words are just going to flow from your fingertips and it's going to be this like (laughs) incredible like prose just like off the bat so I think you're so right in terms of battling past that and finding ways to like silence the doubt and just get to the end is, is so key. Yeah, absolutely. And getting to the end, that really is the whole point, which when you're at the beginning and you're stuck in the middle, especially of a novel where you're just like, I I don't see the end of this thing at all. Like, is this worth my time? Mm -hmm. Is this going to work out? Am I going to stick this landing? I think the most important thing, especially with the first draft, is just to get to the end. You don't know what you have until you finish it. Yeah. And you know what, you were speaking of endings, the ending to Homegoing was like one that's really stayed with me, just the imagery of it. And I'm really excited to read the ending of Transcendent Kingdom (laughs) when I I get through the book. Um, I've not actually like, I've just been staring at it. I've not actually started reading it yet. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm sure you'll see me sort of tweeting how much I enjoyed it after that's been done. But yeah, I just wanted to let you know that I loved, I loved that ending. It was great. Thank you. I wondered if you had any advice, sorry, for your younger self, like going back to the seven-year-old you who was writing her her first story um, for public consumption. What would you tell her if you could? Well, I would tell her to keep at it um, and particularly to keep reading and to remember that the point of all of the work is ultimately like the the literature itself. It's the books themselves. Um, And so as long as you kind of keep that love of fiction alive, uh, whatever you write will kind of stem from that. It will be an extension of that. Amazing. And then what do you think that younger self would think of where you are today? Oh, I mean, she would be so delighted, so proud. I think she would also be kind of a little arrogantly just like, of course, (laughs) Um, of course this would happen. Yeah, I think it was the biggest most kind of secret dream of my of my life back then to have a career like this to be able to to write these books um so i think she would just be over over the moon oh that's so beautiful Um, well yeah thank you so much for joining us it was a real pleasure to have you on I think that was Natty I don't know if you have any final questions no that is I think I was just going to say the secret dream thing as well again it's just speaking to my spirit because I think there Mm. are a lot of people who have these dreams that are kind of like they're almost too afraid to say them because it feels even more terrifying once you say it out loud so I I just think it's so beautiful that like Seven, little seven-year-old you is literally like achieving <laughs> everything she dreamed of thank you so much for joining us thank you so much I appreciate this this was fun thank you it was so nice to have a 
baby story from Yah. Like, yeah, I think that's the first time we've had like a, a proper sort of connection to their current career, like um, a proper story thing. So Something really not nice. totally random. Yeah, I found it just really inspiring, just like for any young people who are out there listening that, you know, someone who started writing a story as like a manifestation of something that she wanted to achieve or have in her life at that young age is still, you know, shaping narratives today. It's just like poetic, really. Yeah, it's so it. poetic. Yeah. And that's one of the things I actually most love about keeping a diary is like mm. uh, uh, finding the kind of filaments that connect your personhood then as a kid to who you are now and reminding yourselves of those past selves I think is a really important exercise it's obviously what growing up with Gardam is all about but like just <laughs> it was like just a very neat a one today like today was like yeah. wrapped up in a little bow yeah she's like got her dog as well like yeah. she has her dog like you're that obsessed is with incredible. the dog Charlie you I know need, I am you like, need to get over the dog even, <laughs> mate I don't even like dogs I like cats I'm a cat person but I'm so pleased for you and I just think I wish her all the best she's a beautiful novelist so um, yeah yeah yeah, I agree. She was a lovely presence to have today. This has been an II Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Galdem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media platforms at Galdemzine for the latest independent journalism or visit our website, which is gal-dem.com. Galdem has a book, I Will Not Be Erased, Our Stories About Growing Up as People of Colour. It's available in all good bookstores or online. If you loved this episode of Growing Up with Galdem, be sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review. We'll catch you on the next episode. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 